Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. Good afternoon. This is Trina Green-Brown with Parenting for Liberation. I am here today with Matthew Arlington. He is actually one of our California State University of Fullerton interns that we have. Shout out to Professor Akala, who is helping us to have resources at Parenting for Liberation and supporting our program. Um, Matthew is a father, college student, and he's also formerly incarcerated, and he really wanted to support Parenting for Liberation by having us have a topic discussion on our podcast about parenting beyond bars and parenting after prison. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So Matthew knows that Parenting for Liberation has done previous conversations about parenting in prison. About a year ago, we had a podcast with Cecilia Caballero from Chicana Motherwork discussing the project that we did with mothers incarcerated in a California institution here in our state. And we provided resources and workshops and programming for the mothers who are incarcerated to really think about what does it mean to raise liberated children from behind bars. Um, And Matthew asked us, well, what about the fathers? And so, Matthew, I would love for you to share with folks, why is this topic around fathering and prison and incarceration important to you? Well, It's an important topic to me because, one, I am a parent who has been in prison, and I've seen what many fathers go through once they get out and try to reconnect with their child, and it's often a lot more difficult than it is for the females who have been incarcerated when they get back with their child. It seems the government or parole officers, law enforcement in general, don't seem to think that men care enough to just allow them that access to the kid easily. So it has to go through more court obstacles and more court hearings, and they have to show more determination in order to be in the child's life instead of just being allowed to be there for the kid. Hmm. As someone who has had a father who was incarcerated while growing up, I I can relate to the importance of maintaining relationships with their father while they are away or while they're incarcerated. Um, And it's really important, particularly to the black community, because research shows that one in every nine black child has a parent who's in jail. And also the African-American children are twice as likely to have a parent who's incarcerated. And so given that, I'm curious about not only beyond the bars after prison to to regain a connection to parents and children's relationships. I'm curious how did you maintain connection while you're incarcerated? Because that was a big thing for me, like maintaining a relationship while my dad was incarcerated, visiting him, um, writing letters, and getting receiving letters, and maintaining that level of communication and connection while he was away. So how did you maintain that connection with your child, who was an infant when you were incarcerated? Yeah, my daughter, she was a newborn. I missed the birth. But the way I did my best was having phone calls on a regular basis, a regular schedule, and just allowing her to hear my voice. 
And I couldn't take many pictures, but I got sent, pictures sent in to me on a regular basis so I could see her development. And it was kind of fortunate that she was that young, that she, that experience wasn't, she didn't remember as much as an older child would have, but it made it harder to gain that bond that you would want with a newborn. But my strategy was just phone calls, 15-minute phone calls once a day or every other day, let her hear my voice, and hopefully she could recognize me when I come home. Yeah, that's really important is to maintain connection and communication and even thinking about young children that hearing the voice of their parent, even when they're in the womb, like hearing the voice maintain, like builds yes. a connection, being able to hear heartbeat. And so you missed all of the opportunities for the skin to skin connection after birth, like all of those intimate, just talking to hearing the voice, the heartbeat, the rhythm is so important to maintain that connection. So it's good that you try to do that. What about visitations? I know you're here in California and California is a huge state. And I know that sometimes families are separated with extreme yeah, extreme visit, distances. The visitation, that was a big issue. It was about a five-hour difference in location between my family and where I was located in prison. So there was no visitation. And I understood why. It was a hardship on them and resources were strained. So I didn't make a big funk over it, but... That is often a reason why many parents in prison don't see their kids because they just can't afford to make that trip, especially if they live in Southern California and they're located in the tip of California where a lot of prisons are at. Yeah. Um, according to some data, it seems that the average distance between a correctional facility and where the children reside is is at on average 160 miles and traveling those distance costs a great amount, especially when there is no resources or there's a lack of transportation. Um, but I know that there are projects and programs that are trying to mend that gap. For example, Get on the Bus is a California-based program that was developed by the Center for Restorative Justice Works that provides free buses to and from prisons every year on Mother's Day and Father's Day. And so on this day, you know, s certain families have the opportunity to like bring the children to the prison, but California is huge and the number, they can't meet the need of every family. And I know that that is super important. So we need to figure out ways to get more resources to maintain connections between children and parents when they're incarcerated because the children don't deserve to be incarcerated. The children don't deserve to be locked away from their parents because their parents committed a crime or made a mistake. And, and sometimes because of racism, let's be real, sometimes, as you said, it's not that black parents are more likely to be criminals. It's just that our moves and what we do is criminalized at a different rate, um, the way systemic racism happens within our institutions. So I do also want to acknowledge that. Yeah, it's a, the visiting is very hard. And I think they used to have other forms of visiting, like monitors and video, but over time, a lot of things been take, taken out of prison because of misuse by the inmates and sometimes with the officers themselves. But more, more visitation, that would definitely help. Yeah, and then, so then I want to transition a little bit to discuss what's the impact on the child to have a parent incarcerated? And then what's the impact on your parenting after prison? Well, for me, it's hard for me to say what the impact is on my child because she was so young and she heard a few stories, but I try not to indulge on it too much because I don't want her to think that that's normal or acceptable. 
But for me personally, it just, it helps me to, when I think about my upbringing and me being incarcerated, I just try to hide that part. Like if it comes up somehow, then I would explain it away the best I can. But I don't want her to get the assumption that it's okay to be incarcerated because you can still turn around. I want her to understand that this is a bad place. This is a bad way to go. You don't do that. But at the same time, I don't want to be too hard on her at the same time because being hard sometimes pushes the kid away. I feel my parents were extra extra stern with us growing up, and that kind of pushed me to the streets and pushed me to that lifestyle that led to me being incarcerated. So I frame my parenting strategies around discipline but with warmth and, like, more communication so she can understand when I discipline and understand why she has to do things certain ways even though other kids may not have to. So hopefully she can avoid what I've been through and not grow up with that mentality of, well, if I get incarcerated, it's okay because that's what black people do. Yeah. I think just to push you a little bit, Parent of Liberation believes in having open communication with their children, right? So when I think about hiding pieces of who you are from your child, it prevents them from really connecting to you. So you not sharing with her what happened or being incarcerated or trying to keep it, you know, if that conversation comes up, trying to reroute it to something else. Our children know when we're not telling them the full truth and then they get curious um, or they'll dig in their own way or they'll try to figure it out on their own. So what's, what's up with well, the... Like, when I say hide it, I don't mean as if talk about it as if it didn't happen or is it just a small little thing. I explain it to her in a way that the crime itself, so she won't think crime's an okay aspect of it and understand that prison, jail, is just a consequence of a wrongdoing. So she, I don't really lie to her about that. My emphasis is always on doing obeying the law. Don't do nothing to put yourself in that situation and help her to understand, like, this is not a fun place. Like, if you go there, you're going to hate your life. Life's going to be hard once you get released. But I can't, I, I don't like to hide it because, like you said, they know when you're lying in plus if she gets older and starts digging into my past, she's going to see, okay, Papa wasn't the best man always. Yeah. I also, I appreciate that, that you do share with her. I also just want to encourage to to be able to hold the racial justice aspect of incarceration. Um, when I think about my father's incarceration, it was, I was born in the 80s in South Central Los Angeles when it was the time of the war on drugs and there was the big the big crack epidemic that really just wiped out communities of color, black communities. And then there was this huge war on drugs campaign where sentencing guidelines were biased that you would get a minimum of five, one. yeah, the 500 to one or the minimum, the min maximum minimum sentences that were super racially motivated. So when I think about if I thought that my father deserved incarceration because he was addicted to drugs, for example, then I would think that he was bad as opposed to that he needed help and he was an addiction. Because right now we have similarly an opioid crisis and there are no maximum minimum sentences. People are talking about rehab. People are talking about that folks are addicted. There's not a massive push to criminalize folks, but it's also a racial difference of who is currently dealing with the opioid crisis, right? So when this happened years ago for black folks and it was crack cocaine, 
go to jail, incarceration, lock them up. Having that crisis happen also led to more policing. So we had way more law enforcement folks just driving around the community, searching people, pulling people over. So if you have more police in your community, you're more likely to have more arrests if you are over the policed and there's additional surveillance, right? So I am mindful that even when I talk to children about doing the right thing and following the law, that I know that you could be black and following the law and still end up in jail. You could be African-American and not doing anything that's a crime per se, or that you could be doing the same thing that another com- community member that's doing who looks white and they will not get the same punishment. So I also make sure that my children know from a place of liberation that like that racism is at the source and root of many of these systems and institutions. So I don't want folks to walk around victim blaming themselves. So just mindful about that. And also just for you to know for your own self, right? Like criminalization and incarceration of black folks is at an ultimate high is at a ridiculous rate there's huge disparities and there's nothing about african-americans that makes us more criminal yeah that is true i choose i try to push that on my daughter all the time because i have to explain it to her like you have to be a little better than the other kids and she asked why and, I was, and like it's hard to bring up the race issue because i don't want her to be young with that mindset of everybody's against me because i'm a black girl but i have i want her to understand that things are going to be a little different and you may get more discipline for the same wrong behavior as your classmates just because, you, you know, you are a black girl. So I try to encourage her to be extra good and have her understand that race does play a part. But I don't want her to hate or have that racial th- mentality herself. And I find that's kind of a hard, hard line to straddle sometimes. Yeah, it is hard. And... As parents who are raising children and we want them to be liberated, right? We don't want them to feel the that that being black is a burden. It's a blessing. There's so much power, resilience, and history and pride that comes with being black. We have so much culture. We have so much fight. We've overcome so much as a people. I mean, we have so much power. Because if we weren't so powerful, people wouldn't be trying to subdue us all the time, right? And yeah. so I try to think of it from a place of positivity and uplift. Um. One thing I heard you say was that you tell your daughter to be twice as hard. And there was this recent article that I shared on Parents for Liberation's website that said that teaching our kids to be twice as hard just puts so much burden on them. And it actually increases their fatigue and their stress. And so it says instead of I'm going to quote the article, it says instead of teaching our kids to work twice as hard to seek the approval of people and companies that simply don't know how to appreciate and respect black brilliance. Let's start teaching our kids that racist systems will never be able to fully value them because many were never built with them in mind, but they are exceptional, whether it's recognized or not. And so I say that because it's super important for us to know that our kids are beyond these systems. So working twice as hard in a system that will never see you is pointless. It's insanity. So instead, encouraging our kids to be aware that this system will never respect you. It was not built for you. So what your work could be is to dismantle that system, not to try to fit into the box. Break the box open because the box was never meant for you in the first place. You know? That does make sense. And it's hard. It's super hard. Let me- I guess when I say be extra for her mainly is be extra good because like we was talking sometimes the same petty 
crime that could get someone probation or a ticket would get us jail time. Right. So that's why I really want her, like, you got to be, respect the law. If you see your friend jaywalking, you still walk to that crosswalk. Right. Or if you see him throwing some trash out the window, you better wait till you get to a trash can. Like, don't even take a chance. Right. And I think it's about how to help them realize that the system is unequal, unfair, and just, and that it's not that something's wrong with them. Yeah. It's how do we help them see it's not you that is inherently flawed. It's the system that's inherently flawed. So we have to play this game with this system, but we also have to be at the same time figuring out how do I pull and break the system apart? So when I think about Parenting for Liberation, it's about how do we raise our children to be whole and free and believe in themselves, have so much joy and value while they're in the home? How are you cultivating liberation in the home? By how we parent them, by how we talk to them, how we nurture them. And then simultaneously, knowing that we are raising these like beautiful, bold, resilient, powerful black children in the home, how do we go out in the world and know that these systems are going to be cold and try to tear them down? So then what's the work that we need to do as parents to organize, to help, to shift structures and systems and institutions to then be able to receive our babies? And then how do we help our children to know, like, when you go out, you're going to be a radiant light of black joy and sunshine, and other people need their sunglasses because they can't see it. But it's not your fault that you're radiant and bold and shining. You shouldn't dim your light because they can't see it. They need to find some sunglasses, you know? Hmm. Um, So that's the work, Um, and it sounds like... The constant encouragement. Yeah. So how do you do that work? Or is that something you're moving towards or working towards? I'm, I'm, I am moving towards that. It's it's all a work in progress, especially given the way I was brought up. I wasn't brought up thinking like that at all. I was just brought up with the avoid, resist, and hopefully you'll make it through. Just keep your head down. Exactly. That's how you were raised. Yeah. So I'm still trying to get out of my paradigm and go walk into this new way of helping them to understand instead of just forcing an idea of understanding on them. And just, like, helping to see, like you said, the institutional racism and how it's unjust, unfit, unfair, but we got to deal with it somehow and still love ourselves in the process. Yeah. It's important. And I didn't grow up this way either. So it definitely is a learning edge, and we're all in development. Like, parenting is a journey. Raising children is a journey, and we can unlearn what we were taught growing up. So that's what this is all about. It's about shifting. So I'm curious about, like, so what is the shift you want to make in your parenting from what you learned growing up and how you were parented? What is that shift that you want to make in how you raise your daughter? My biggest shift has been the discipline because I was was pretty much beat growing up and not her as much. And with my kid, I don't hit her at all. I just talk to her. I let her voice her opinion. She doesn't always get what she wants, but at least she knows she could speak freely and she has a voice and she can speak her mind. And for many parents, they look at that like back talk, but I just look at it like giving the opinion. Sometimes there's attitude behind it and I got to check the attitude. Okay, that's a kid. That's what happens. But she needs to know that she could speak, that her, that her, what, what she thinks it matters. And it's like, it's valuable. So that's the main shift I'm trying to do. Just get her to understand that she can speak up whenever she chooses to. And if she does it in a correct way, then people are going to listen. Yeah. So you are raising a little brave, a liberated <laughs> baby girl um, who can speak her mind, who knows that her voice matters and that you will hear her and you won't silence her. 
growing up, I often heard black folks telling their kids that they're to be to be seen and not heard. Yeah. And and that's a huge shift is to say, actually, no, we need to hear what you think. We need to know your viewpoints. You need to know that what you believe is valuable. Because if they're silent when something's going on and they don't tell us, then we can't support them. So I think that's important. And so you're doing it. And it's not always easy. No, it's not. Especially (laughs) when there's attitude behind the talk. I was like, okay, I hear you, but sometimes you got to bring it down a little bit and I can hear you better. (laughs) She had a little sass, huh? Man. (laughs) Um, That's going to be important, though, as she gets older um, and she wants to speak up for herself in a patriarchal society where there's a lot of misogyny and sexism. Like, women, we have to be able to to use our vow, our, our voice and use our power. So, Yeah, I just want to encourage her to speak, but learn how to, to do it in a way that's going to be heard and not be rejected or just taken as an anger. Like, okay, you don't always have to be angry to be loud. You could be loud and get your point across without seeming like you're on edge. I'm trying to get her to help control herself, speak up, and be assertive. Yeah, and I think she'll figure it out as she comes into her own, but I also just want to flag, like, Black women and girls are often seen as angry when exactly. we're just, when we're and, just being I don't want, assertive. So exactly. I don't I don't like to fall into the stereotypes like oh it's the angry black woman like no I'm assertive. If I was saying the same thing and I was a a Asian woman or a white woman it would be like oh she's so strong and powerful. But when a black woman does it she's angry and aggressive. Um, and that's why there's elevated levels of school push out for black girls. We talk a lot about boys being pushed out of school and into the school to prison pipeline, but black girls as well at higher rates at currently are being pushed out of schools because teachers see them speaking up and using their voice as defiance and disrespect and they have attitude and it's cultural. For example, say Stacey Abrams, who was running as a big, black, strong, powerful woman would get criticized for anger. And so I just want to make sure that we're not telling our black girls that they have to be, you know, docile and quiet and sweet, that no, we can be strong and powerful as well. Yeah. One of the things I push on her is reading and vocabulary. Kind of once her vocabulary gets to that point, her words will always be heard regardless of how she says it, because vernacular matters. When you speak in a slang or they call you bonics, then like they're gonna brush you off. But if you speak it in words they understand, they're gonna hear you a little better. Maybe. Maybe. But that's my hopes. Maybe they'll hear you better. And I also just think about folks like Fannie Lou Hamer, who had um a lower elementary education, but was a very vocal politician who didn't have all the like proper language and was not, as some folks would say, very eloquent with her words, but she was very honest, real, authentic. And so I I say use African-American vernacular. I say use the language that will help you express yourself and to be as authentic and unapologetically black as possible. I feel like that's where the, the world and the culture is shifting is that we can just be unapologetically black. We don't have to model respectability politics and speak in a particular dialect and dress a certain way that we can just be ourselves and be free. And so that's what I'm hoping for all black people that we can just be ourselves and be free because we deserve it don't you think yeah long (laughs) overdue long overdue all right with that i think that's our time with matthew um thank you for supporting parent of liberation with with the work that you're doing at your school as a student as a parent and for 
even starting to engage in this conversation about what it means to be a liberated parent while you're raising a black daughter. Um, before we go, is there anything you want to share in terms of resources? Well, for individuals coming out of prison, and there's an organization called Friends Outside, housed in Los Angeles County or based in Los Angeles County, and they provide resources to help fathers, mothers, anyone who's been incarcerated to get back on the feet and reconnect with their child and help ease the transition back into parenting. And any ex-felons or ex-anybody coming back in who would like to go to school, there's programs like the one I'm in called um, Project Rebound. And they also provide financial resources and housing and other, other things needed to get your degree and just to get over that hump because it's really hard to go back to school. A lot of times it's a lot of individuals I talk to, they don't think they can do it just because they've been incarcerated. And I wanted them to know that they can. They can do pretty much anything that they could do before they were incarcerated. It, is, it might take a little longer. It might be a little harder, but uh, it's still out there. You just got to get up and go get it. Thank you so much, Matthew, for providing those resources. We will put links to those on the website. Thank you for coming out and talking to us. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more backwards.